Well, we are in week four of Joshua. And this week really gets interesting because we're going to take a turn in the book of Joshua. If you've missed any of the previous weeks in this series, let me bring you up to speed today. Through the leadership of Moses, God delivered the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. They walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. He delivered them from Pharaoh's army. God brought them all the way to the border of the promised land in Numbers chapter 14, only to find out that they weren't ready for what God had in store for them. So God then sends the nation of Israel through a 40-year wandering in the wilderness as he is preparing them for what he has in store for them in the promised land. By the time you get to the book of Joshua, the children of Israel are no longer led by Moses, but are under the leadership of Joshua to claim the promised land and what God has in store for them. So in Joshua chapter 1, week 1, they were commanded to take hold of the land. Week 2, we looked at Joshua chapter 2. They sent spies into the land, and a harlot named Rahab saved their lives. Then last week, we looked at how God stopped the Jordan River and how the nation of Israel crossed over to the other side. And this week in Joshua chapter 4, we're going to start today. They begin the conquest of the promised land. And the majority of the following chapters in Joshua are going to center around the battles between the children of Israel and the inhabitants of the land of Israel. And this kind of leads the question that we kind of have to ask up front before we get into a lot of these battles in the coming weeks. Why is the book of Joshua filled with battles? Why did the nation of Israel have to fight against all of these other people groups? Why couldn't they just come in and occupy the land and be good neighbors? Have you ever asked yourself that question as you read Joshua? There's already, the scripture gives us six different people groups in the land. Why couldn't the Israelites just be the seventh? and find a corner of the land that's uninhabited and just take up residency there and be good neighbors, play well in the sandbox with everybody. The Bible tells us why. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 17, says, But you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. What was their practices that were so abominable in the sight of God? Why was it that God told them in that verse to put them to utter destruction? What was so bad about these people that God wanted them destroyed? 
You see, these nations, they served a god called Molech. It's an ancient god. And God gives the Israelites a command in Leviticus 18.21. He says, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Who was Molech? Why was Molech so awful? Molech, the worship of Molech by these six nations that inhabited the promised land, the worship included child sacrifice or passing children through the fire was the literal translation of it. It is believed that the idols of Molech were giant metal statues of a man with a bull's head on it from what they found in ancient history. And each image had a hole in the abdomen with arms stretched out around the statue and the babies were placed in the statue's arms or in the hole. And when a couple sacrificed their firstborn, they believed that Molech would ensure financial prosperity for the family and for future children. That was Molech. The abominable practices of that worship. Does this practice sound familiar to you today? Let me connect the dots for you. Over the last 50 years, millions of children have been sacrificed to the God of, I'm not ready for a child. Or maybe the God of, I don't want to be tied down. Or maybe the God of, I don't have the financial security for a child. What we have done in our nation is no different than what God found abhorrent to the nations that were inhabiting the promised land at that time. You know, since every person that walks this earth is made in the image and likeness of God, all forms of murder, whether that's at birth, in the middle, or euthanasia at the end, all of them are an attack on the image and likeness of God. That is why God told Moses... You must destroy them. This is why Israel could not be good neighbors with these nations. And the book of Joshua is filled with battles. If the Israelites did not eradicate these people, then God knew that the nation of Israel would adopt their gods. And the rest of the Old Testament proves that to be true. Because the Israelites didn't obey God in this. They got part of the job done and allowed some of the people to stay in the land. And what happened? We find all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel struggling with worshiping these gods instead of the one true God. I can say, aren't we glad that we live on this side of the cross 
where we can find grace and mercy and forgiveness for our sins. That because of Jesus, we can be called children of God and not his enemies. Man, makes you think about how wonderful the grace of God is. So that answers the question of why the nation of Israel is going to fight all of these people over these following chapters. So the Israelite entrance into the promised land really takes place in three major cities as we're going to look at over the coming weeks. Gilgal, Jericho, and Ai. We're going to look at these three cities, and today we're going to begin our journey in Gilgal and see what the Lord says for a people who were on their way to something greater than they've ever known. We've got a, we're going to read a portion of scripture now. It's a pretty long passage, so let's do something different this morning. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Let's go old church style. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word to stretch your legs for just a minute because this is a long passage and I need you guys to stay awake with me as we read this together. All right, so starting in Joshua chapter 4, verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over and the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. As soon as all of the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel out at Gilbeah, Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on their way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all of the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcision, circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month and the evening on the plains of Jericho. All right, thank you. You guys can be seated. To understand this series and what God will do at Gilgal, at Jericho, and at Ai, you have to go back and read the book of Joshua and remind yourself that when God calls the children of Israel to take over the promised land, he gives them five promises. These are five promises that they can take to the bank with them no matter what they're going to face, no matter how great the army, no matter how big the walls are on the city, these are promises they can take with them. Number one, I'm going to give you a place of promise. Number two, everywhere you walk will be yours. Number three, your enemies will not be able to stand against you. Number four, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. Number five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here are five promises to a people from a God who is faithful. What we're going to see today is that the same God who was faithful to fulfill these promises to the nation of Israel is also faithful to us today. And I want you to know that God is faithful, God is present, and God will fight for us. So with these five promises, God moves the nation of Israel across the Jordan River into a little city called Gilgal. And when they get to Gilgal, God has some words for the nation of Israel. That's what we're going to spend our time looking at today. These words that God has for the nation of Israel. First of all, he says, don't be diverted by obstacles. Don't see obstacles in your way as a sign that I'm not moving on your behalf. When they get to Gilgal, you'll notice that God gives them a commandment. He says, take 12 stones that you pulled out of the Jordan River and make me a monument. Now, for those of you that don't remember how this went down, when Joshua led the people out of Israel to the border of the prom- I mean, out of uh, Egypt to the border of the promised land, they had an obstacle. And we looked at last week how the Jordan River was in front of them, and they had no way to cross it. But nobody panics when they get to the Jordan River because if anybody ought to have some assurances when it comes to a body of water, it's the nation of Israel. Because they remember this isn't the first obstacle on our journey that we've dealt with. We got to the Red Sea and it was closed. And if God could handle a sea, surely he can handle a river. 
God opens the waters of the Jordan River and they cross over. And on their way crossing over, God, pick, God says to pick up 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. And when they get to Gilgal, God says to make a monument so that when your children see these stones, they will ask you, what do these stones mean? You'll be able to tell your children of the faithfulness of God at the Jordan. You'll tell them, when we got to the Jordan River, if you remember last week, it was during the melting of the snow from Mount Hermon. This, the river was probably overflowing more than a mile wide. When we got to the Jordan, there was no way to cross, but God made a way. God found a way. And we built this monument to remind us of an obstacle in our way, there is a God in heaven who's proved time and time again that he's able to move obstacles and deliver us through whatever is blocking our path. So let me tell you why that monument is important. The next city that they're going to face is the city of Jericho. And even if you flunked out of Sunday school, the one thing you ought to know about Jericho is when you get there, you're going to see an obstacle. Because the, the city of Jericho is famous for one thing. What was that? Help me out. What were they famous for? They're famous for their walls. Their big walls. This nation who had been traveling in the wilderness, this was before modern siege theory, before you knew how to take on a walled city, they had a huge obstacle in their path that seemed impenetrable. Listen, church, in the journey of your life, you're going to face some obstacles. Why? Because obstacles in life are inevitable. They're inevitable. But I don't want you to see those obstacles. I don't want you to see the walls of Jericho in your life and give up. When you see the walls of Jericho, I want you to look at a monument that you have set up to remind you of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in your life life. That God that brought you through the Jordan, that same God that carried you through the Red Sea. And if I made a way in Egypt, then I'm surely going to be able to handle the walls in front of you. Obstacles are inevitable. There's no level of spirituality that you can obtain with God that grants you immunity from challenges in life. God never promised an obstacle-free journey. What God did promise is that if you trust me, I can overcome your obstacles. Don't see an obstacle and think that God has abandoned me or that God is not faithful. In fact, hear this. God will even orchestrate obstacles for a reason in your life. The reason God orchestrates obstacles in your life is because of what he said at the end of chapter 4. The reason the Red Sea was closed, the reason the Jordan River was closed, was so that when I opened it, 
all the people of the earth would know that the hand of the God of the nation of Israel is mighty. That is why. God will do whatever God wants to do. He says, I have to give you obstacles so that your cousins and your co-workers will know that the God that you serve is on your side. And when God removes that obstacle in your life, they will see how mighty the God is that you serve. So don't be diverted by obstacles. Obstacles are inevitable, and obstacles are the way that God shows how mighty he is to a watching world. So don't be diverted by obstacles. Number two, don't be discouraged by opposition. Not only where there, will there be obstacles, but there's going to be opposition. You see, obstacles are things that stand in your way. Opposition are the people around you that stand in your way. You have to know that whenever God is moving in your life, not everybody's going to be excited. I promise you that whenever God blesses you, there is somebody that's going to feel like you don't deserve it. They do. You can't be favored by God and not have some folks stand against you. You can't walk with God and expect everyone in your circle to immediately have a party for you. When God breaks through in your life, there will always be those who stand in direct opposition to what God wants to do through you. You only need to open your Bible to find this to be true. Joseph was favored, but his brothers stood against him. Esther was favored, but Haman stood against her. Nehemiah was favored, but Sambalat stood against him. Jesus, the Son of God, favored by God and the Pharisees stood against him. There is no spiritual level you can reach where you are immune from the reality of opposition. There will always be those that stand in your way when you decide to serve God. God is saying, don't let obstacles stop you. Don't let opposition cause you to lose courage. And here's the third one. Don't be disheartened by obedience. A little different one. Let me explain. God is saying, I'm going to ask you to do some things along this journey as we conquer the promised land that are not going to be easy. But I'm going to need you to obey. I'm going to need you to follow my commands. Let me stop here and say that many of you have been infected with a thought cancer in Christianity that would have you believe that everything God wants from you is happy, happy, joy, joy. You turn on the TV preacher and that is a lot of times what you hear. As your pastor, I stand here to tell you that walking with God is not always easy. God requires things of us that may not be comfortable. God demands sacrifice in our lives that is not easy to give. God says that in order 
to conquer the promised land, you've got to develop a spirit of obedience where whatever God asks of you, you say yes to. One of the things that I learned from my dad at a very young age that I never forgot is you don't say no to me. You don't say no. When I ask you to do something, son, the response is, yes, sir. You don't argue. You don't give me pushback. You do what I ask you to do. In the same way, saying no to God is not in your best interest. Saying no to my dad (laughs) was not in my best interest was not in the best interest of my behind. I learned to say, yes, disobeying God never turns out right and never brings you the full blessings of God in your life. God says, I need someone that no matter what I ask, no matter what I command, you are going to do it. We're going to look at when it gets to Ai and Achan. We're going to look at how they quickly, a family quickly forgot this and it did not turn out well for them. Here's what God said to Joshua. The problem I had with your mommies and your daddies 40 years ago is that they they did not obey my voice. Whatever I asked them to do, they always had a reason why they couldn't do it. They were disobedient, and the Bible calls them a stiff-necked people. They were stubborn, and they always wanted to do their own thing. So I kept them out of the promised land because they had a spirit of disobedience. So God says, before I take you in, I need to know that you will obey my voice. Watch what God does. God says to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take some knives and I want you to circumcise all of the men of Israel. I want you to do something that is neither pretty or pleasant. I want you to do something that isn't going to make you shout for joy. I want you to do something that is not easy because I want you to know that everything I'm going to command of you is not easy. But I want to know that you'll do it because you found out that everything I've asked for may not feel good, but it's for your good. Everything I ask of you may not feel good, We live in a world consumed with our feelings. It may not feel good, but it's for your good. You know, in the world of the Christian, tithing may not feel good, but it's for your good. It's taking the position of me, 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 me in my heart and opening up to becoming a giving person. Praying for those that have done wrong to you doesn't feel good, but it's for your good. Forgiving your brother, as Jesus says, 70 times 7, 
that doesn't feel good, but it's for your good. What God is saying here is that no matter what I ask of you, no matter what commandment I give you, I need to know that your only response to me will be yes. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll let go of who you want me to let go of. So God told Joshua, I want you to circumcise the men. That's going to hurt a little bit. And I want you to celebrate the Passover. Circumcise the people. Celebrate the Passover. Now remember, the Passover is a time of rejoicing of what the Lord has done. I want you to tell the people to remember how I answered their prayer in Egypt and say thank you. I want you to remind them that I fed them with manna from heaven when there was no food. I want you to remind them that when there was no water, I made water come out of a rock. I've made ways, I've answered prayers, I've dealt with enemies, I've guided them along the way. And when they think about what I've done, they ought to celebrate my goodness. That's what they do with the celebration of Passover. Now let me tell you why this is an act of obedience. They came across the Jordan, it said, on the 10th day of the first month in Joshua 4.19. They are circumcised, and on the 14th day they celebrate Passover. So stay with me. Let me do this timeline again with you here. They come across on the 10th day. They're circumcised. And on the 14th day, they give God glory for what he's done. So... Let me make a suggestion here to us. They come across the Jordan on the 10th day. On the 11th day, they're likely circumcised. And then by the 14th day, when the celebration of Passover is supposed to be taking place, I'm sure some of them probably said, I don't feel like celebrating. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm sure somebody sat in the congregation and said, I'm in too much pain to give God glory. But there were others in that congregation of people who said, I will still bless the Lord in my pain and in my suffering. They said, I'll still give God glory in my pain. I'll still rejoice in God in spite of the pain of the circumstances of where I presently find myself in. It's not about how you feel. We get wrapped up in our feelings. It's about what God has commanded. Jesus says, yes, to God the Father, all the way to the cross. God commanded Christ To leave the glory of heaven, take on the form of a babe, live the perfect sinless life that we should have lived, die the death that we should have died for our sins. He was obedient to the Father all the way to the cross. I'm sure in his human fleshly form, there were times that he didn't feel like it. 
but he obeyed the commandments of our Lord. And we sit here today on this side of the cross, a forgiven people. It's experiencing the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God because of the obedience of the Son. God says to us today, don't be diverted by obstacles because they're inevitable. As you've looked back over your life, I've removed too many of them for you to be afraid of now. If there is not a monument in your life or in your family to remind you of the goodness of God, I would suggest that you set one up to reflect on those times when the walls of Jericho are staring you down and you don't know how God's going to remove that obstacle. You need a reminder that God is faithful. God says, don't be discouraged by opposition. It's the price of my favor upon you. And don't be disheartened by anything God asks you to do. But learn to say, yes, Lord, to his will and his way. Let's pray.